And then the rest of us love for you to grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Start on verse 25. I want to read with you through verse 33. Luke 14, start at verse 25. This is the word of our Lord. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciples. We start a new series today on discipleship. And uh, I think it's going to be a good series. It's going to be a, a long, longer series on this topic because it includes quite a few things uh, uh, that we can put under this umbrella. Um, our, our church is studying the book what is the mission of the church, making sense of social justice, shalom, and the Great Commission, written by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert. Uh, we are studying it in our book groups, and, and on also we're covering it on the last Sunday of each month in Sunday school. And the conclusion of the book is that the mission of the church, which, which is not talking about missions as missionary movement, and sending, but the mission of the church, the reason... For the existence of the church, the reason why the church was sent into the world, that's where the word mission comes comes from, the Latin word for send. So the reason why the church was sent into the world is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So in that book, we see that the primary reason for the existence of the church is not to feed the poor, is not to fight racial inequality, is not to dig wells for needy communities or other, other good social causes that Christians should be involved. But that's not why the church was sent into the world. The primary reason for the existence of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So the series that we're beginning today is going to assume that the book's conclusion is correct. We're not going to try to prove it in this year. We're going to assume that it's correct because it is. So you can read the book and you should be reading the book anyway. Um, you can see that they make a good argument for, for that. And there are several questions that we're going to attempt to answer during this time together. And the main one is this. How do we go about fulfilling the mission of the church? 
the book tells us that this is the mission of the church. Now we're going to, during this time, this series, not just today, but this series, trying to figure out how do we fulfill the mission that God has given us. And here are some simple questions that we're going to be asking ourselves as we go through it. And as, as, as they appear on the screen, I also want us to talk about them and get some feedback from you as what you think the answer is and without necessarily making any uh, evaluation of the answers, just to, to see where we all are as we go into this series. So some of the questions we're going to be trying to ask is, what is a disciple? So let me ask you, what is a disciple? Linda? Someone who's learning about God. Someone who's learning about God, all right. What else? A follower of Christ, all right. What else? Levi. Someone who sits under the teach of someone else, all right. Yes. Adam Newton, the same thing. Okay. Anything else? What else? What is a disciple? Okay. So, what is discipleship then? You can see that they're related. The one word is within the other. So what is discipleship? Linda? The act of learning about God. Go the act of learning about God. Alright. Any other? Um, Adam Newton? It's funny, I've always thought of it as the act of helping someone be a student. Okay, the act of helping someone being a student, okay? Alright. Remember, we're just getting answers here. We're not evaluating any of the answers at this at this this point. What else? What is discipleship? Have you never thought about these things before in your life? Being a disciple. Being a disciple. All right. Okay. Tilly? Like mentorship or shepherding. Mentorship or shepherding. All right. Another question. How is a disciple made? And you can see that these are related, but there's a little different nuance in each one of these questions. How is a disciple made? Renee? Through mentorship and studying the scriptures. Through mentorship and studying the scriptures. Andrew? Word and sacrament. Word and sacrament. What else? How is a disciple made? Through I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you, Louis. Through sanctification. All right. Tilly? Baptizing and teaching. By, by being baptized and by being taught. What else? Okay, uh, yes, Adam. Obedience. Obedience, okay, through obedience. Now, this is going to, the next one is going to say, have you answered that yet? No, we haven't quite yet. But the question we asked, what is a disciple? Now, I think another way to ask that's going to have a little different answer is who is a disciple? Someone who's actively seeking out a teaching. Someone who's actively seeking out a teaching, okay. What else? Okay, someone who forsakes all they have who follow Christ, a lot of the passage that we just read. Yes. What else? Linda. Someone who strives to live as Christ taught. Okay, let's get very basic. Right, all, I think all these things are good so far and so on, but uh, 
What's the most basic thing about who is a disciple? At least in the, in the context of the scriptures. Lewis. I threw you out by saying the context of the scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's really the most basic thing about being a disciple of Christ, is believing in him. So that has to be paramount in answering that question. But we're still not trying to answer them completely, just kind of getting, uh, brainstorming, hearing from everybody. Another question we're going to ask is this, who should be involved in discipleship? Any thoughts on that? Everybody. Everybody? Church. Okay. The church, everyone in the church, okay. So, what else? Who should be involved in discipleship? It's easy to say the church, and that's true. But let's, let's try to get more specific. Lois? Anyone who has a spiritual gift of teaching? Are you going to hit me, Adam? Yeah. Okay, so walking towards me, I get worried. Uh, Andrew? Well, this one hinges on how we're defining discipleship. So okay. If we're seeing discipleship as the process of just being a disciple, then that's a calling to everybody in the world. Okay. If we see discipleship as the process of making others disciples, mm-hmm. then uh, that's primarily handed to the elders of the church, but then through the elders to empower others to do that work as well. All right. Good. What else? Who should be involved in discipleship? Carol. Moms, all right. What else? Parents. Parents, okay. Who else? Friends. Okay, friends, yes. It's good to name things, right? So that we don't, um, we don't forget. Who else should be involved in the discipleship? Aunts and uncles, all right. So the family, we can, we can leave the family now. Who else? <laughs> church body the church body all right that's yes what else? who else right so the church body pastors those are mentioned any 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 new category we can think of okay so what and then this question are there any other questions that, that you can think of that we should be asking as we talk about discipleship What does it look like to do this? Right, which is the main question, right? How do we go about fulfilling the mission of the church? Any other questions that we should be asking ourselves as we think about discipleship? Scott Griffiths. What would be the difference between discipleship and just a Christian influence? What would be the difference between discipleship and a Christian influence? How much time should we spend in discipleship? Okay. Any, any other questions? And I am going to listen through these. I'm not right now, but I'm going to listen to these events so that we can actually address them as we go through. Andrew. Can an unbeliever be discipled? Can an unbeliever be discipled? All right. Ren- Renee. How do we find opportunities to disciple? How do we find opportunities to disciple? All right. Jonas. So we should Who should we be discipling? All right. Tilly. What are we teaching as we disciple? All right. Any other questions? Who is qualified to be be discipling? Yes. All right. Isaiah. What is the definition of 
what is the definition between what is the definition between evangelism and discipleship? All right. What else? Okay, so just in this little brainstorm session, you can see this is a big subject. And it involves all kinds of people and all kinds of things as well. I want to start today by taking a look at the very word disciple. Disciple is the favorite word for a follower of Jesus Christ in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. It's used 260 nine times in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Interestingly, it's not found anywhere in the New Testament outside of the Gospels and the, and the book of Acts. So in the epistles, in the book of Revelation, you don't find the word disciples at all. But it's Jesus' favorite word to describe his followers. And it is Luke's favorite word in the book of Acts to describe his followers. But of, of all the authors of the New Testament, the one that likes this word the most is, you want to guess? I, I was surprised to find that out. I thought it would be somebody else. So I thought it was going to be Matthew, just from reading it through. But it's actually John in the Gospel of John, which is significant because Luke has the most words written in the New Testament. Of all the authors, Luke wrote the most. We tend to think of Paul because you have all these different books that he wrote. But as far as counting the number of words, Luke in Luke and Acts wrote the most. And yet it's John in the gospel alone who uses this word disciple uh, the most. And it's interesting that it's the, his favorite title for himself as well. Um, which uh, every time I read it, I feel like, man, that seems a little arrogant. Where he calls himself in the gospel the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not the others, but the one he loved. Uh, which seems to be interesting there. So because this word is so popular in the mouth of Jesus, it is worth taking a look at it. And the word disciple is an old word in the original language. Now, there are, languages pick up words as they go by. Do, do you have any idea which, which language in the world has the largest vocabulary? It's English. English has the largest vocabulary in the world because it does not attempt to create new words. It just adopts whatever words being used. So it ends up being, having the largest vocabulary. So words have different age in the in language of, uh, in, in a language. The, the word disciple in the original language is a very old word. You can find it all the way to the beginnings of the Greek language. And as time goes by, words pick up meaning. They lose meaning. And they change meaning completely. One of these three things can happen to a word. Can you think of an English word that has changed its meaning completely through the centuries? Gay. Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's a good one to think about it. <laughs> the word gay, yes. Any other word you can think of that has changed completely the meaning through the century? Awful, yes. Peculiar. Peculiar. Does it change? I only know one meaning, so, but. It, it, it used to mean, well, set apart. Yeah. Right, that's true. Specific yeah. Now a, a classic example is in First Thessalonians chapter five in the King James, the seventeen eighty nine version of the King James. It says that the living shall not prevent the dead, and so we read today prevent, and we think that the living shall not shall not keep the dead from rising from the now. But back then it meant shall not go first. 
So it completely changed uh, the meaning. It doesn't even hold any of that. Well, when you think of the word disciple in the original language, it, this word picked up meaning through the centuries. It, it became bigger through the centuries. It never changed its meaning. It just meaning was added to it. Early on, it was used to refer to a person who directs his or her mind to something, like a learner. It was a favorite word of the Pythagoreans. Have you ever, ever heard of the, the, the philosopher Pythagoras? If you went to high school and took math, oh no, how come the pastor's talking about math during Sunday school? You've learned at least, in, you heard the word, you may not have learned it, but you heard the word about the Pythagorean theorem, right? Where A squared equals B squared plus C squared. And if you like musicals, you've also heard of the Pythagorean theorem in a very famous musical. Yes, Andrew? Is Pythagorean the same thing as the Pythagorean? It's the same thing. Okay. <laughs> but you can hear from an engineer, an accountant, or from other people that don't know what they're talking about and choose which one you want to follow. But if you like musical, it's also there in the Pirates of Penzance. Remember the major general talks about calculating the length of the hypotenuse? That's also talking about math there. So they, that school of philosophy said that you can explain everything in life through numbers. So that, and so you have to be a learner of life, and they use the word disciple, so that, but you do that by learning, everything can be translated to numbers. And so they were called disciples, their learners, which is where we get the word mathematics. The word mathematics is based on the Greek word for disciple. And as, as, as Greek evolved, it, more meaning was added to it, to it, in which it also implied a direct dependence of the one learning upon an authority of superior knowledge. So the word disciples also implies this idea of a relationship to someone from whom you're learning. And as it continues, the idea of imitation came into the meaning of the word. Uh, uh, You may have heard of the word peripatetic teachers that describes teachers that would teach their students as they were walking. And that's the idea of Imitation as they went about life, the students learn. So that word came into the meaning of the word disciple as well. And we find that in the New Testament when Paul in First Corinthians eleven one says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So that's involved in the word disciple, a learner who learns cognitively, but also by imitation from one whom is worth learning from. <coughs> And as, as the word evolved, the, the, the person described by this word was also in a close bond with the one and to the one who is teaching him or her. And that person that taught the disciple was often called a master. And the disciple, that word meant that he or she was in a close bond with and to the one teaching them. 
And then those described by this word would exist in fellowship with other disciples of the same master. It was implied in the word that this particular learner, this particular disciple, would be in fellowship with other disciples of the same master. That was intrinsic to the word. In the New Testament, the word is primarily used to describe the people who attach themselves to Jesus as their master. It's not exclusively used that way because talk about the disciples of the Pharisees as well, but it's primarily used in that way. And all of this describes a disciple of the Lord Jesus. So just looking at the word itself, we learn that the, the disciple is a learner who is being instructed by somebody else, who has fellowship with other disciples of the same master, who is also learning not just cognitively, but also by imitation. So the learning is something that should show up in the life of the one who is the disciple. Now, let's just think of, of the word in the context of the New Testament. In the passage that we read this morning, if you still have your Bible there, Luke 14. Just so that we can start getting the taste of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is. You see here that a disciple of Jesus Christ loves him more than any other person in his or her life. Verse 26, if anyone, anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now we know from the rest of the scriptures, comparing scripture to scriptures, that Jesus doesn't mean hate, mean hate here in the absolute way. He's not calling anybody to hate their families, but he's saying that if our love for him in comparison for our love for anyone else, is so much greater that our love for somebody else looks just like hate. Or if our love for him, if we are going to keep what people say about our love for him, for him from us loving him, we are not worthy of following him. For example, um, you go visit your unbelieving parents. Super hypothetical, right? You go visit your unbelieving parents... And you're only there for a few days, but you say that on the Lord's Day, you're going to go to church in the morning and in the evening. And they say to you, hypothetically, but oh, you're here for so few days, don't you love us? Don't you want to stay with us instead of going to church? And you say, no, I'm going to go to church because God calls me to go to church on the Lord's Day. Well, that love for the Lord in the eyes of the family looks like what? Hatred for the family. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. If, if we're not willing to obey him, even when it brings conflict in the family to the point that they think that you don't love them, then you're not worth, worthy of being called a disciple of Jesus Christ. So a disciple of Jesus Christ loves him more than any other person in his or her life and is going to follow him even if family, which is the closest bond we have on earth, say that by following him we're hating them. Not that anybody would ever be in that situation, right? Also, we see in verse 27 that the disciple of Jesus Christ dies to self. He says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So bearing the cross means dying. doesn't mean just suffering. means dying. And in chapter 9 of Luke, it says, Pick up his cross daily and follow me. That's the idea of constantly daily dying to self. 
So if, if that's not who we are, people who are constantly dying to self, we are not worthy to be called a disciple of Jesus Christ. Anytime we are number one in our lives, we are failing to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we see on this passage that a disciple of Jesus Christ forsakes all in this life for the sake of Christ. In verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is saying that at any moment where we are not willing to just give up whatever it is in order to be obedient to Christ, we are not at that moment behaving like a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if our life is marked by that kind of thing, then we're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. So here we're starting to let the scripture shape what we think a disciple is. Any questions before we continue? All right, so how do then how are disciples made? We're going to start answering that, and that's going to take the length of our series. We're going to turn to another passage, a very familiar passage, and that's Matthew 28. Because the Great Commission gives us the outline of how disciples are made. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has, given, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that, are made, that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So here we have, in a very broad way, how disciples are made. And notice that the command to make disciples is grounded on Jesus' authority. He has the authority to do that. It says, all authorities be given to me. It doesn't mean that he had no authority. He didn't have authority prior to this moment. But by, because of the nature of his ministry, his authority was veiled. It wasn't until... It was declared in its fullness by the resurrection that he could openly say, all authority has been given to, to me. He's been declared by the resurrection that he's the king of kings, lord of lords. He says, by my authority, you're going, the church is going to make disciples. He says, I'm not asking you something that I can't ask you. I'm not asking you something that I don't have the power to ask. I don't have some, I'm not asking you something that I'm not in the position to ask. So all authorities be given to me, Jesus says, go make disciples. So the church can confidently follow him because he has the authority to lead it. And also the setting is very important. When is Jesus saying these words? Well, this, this is uh, not too long before he's just taken up to heaven, ascends into heaven. These are some of the last words that Jesus left with his church in person. So I think the, the, the importance of it increases when you look at the context. It's also repeated in the same way in the book of Luke, in chapter 24, in Acts chapter 1. We also see here that the, ending, that the making of disciples ends with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you, the promise of the Great Commission is that he's going to be with us to the end of the age. Because that's how long it's going to take. That's how long we are going to be, as the Church of Jesus Christ, making disciples till he returns to the consummation of this present age, till he returns, till we see our Lord face to face, till we look at, at him and his eyeballs, the job of the church is to make disciples. 
That's, that's what he, he didn't say anything else. Go do this till I return. No, he says, go make disciples till I return. So when the church wonders, oh, how, how can we be serving this age? How can we be serving this time that we live in history? How can we be serving this community? Well, has Jesus come back yet? No. Well, I can serve this time by making disciples then, since that's what I'm supposed to do till he comes back. Now, when he comes back, that's going to change. But till then, we have clear, clear direction of what we are supposed to do as a church of Jesus Christ. Make disciples. And notice that this make, making of disciples is comprehensive. It's not something that is a notch on your belt, you get done and you move on necessarily uh, from there. He says that we are to teach to obey all things that Jesus has commended. Which by implication is what? The whole Bible. Right? Not just the red words in the gospel, but the whole Bible. And it's important that you notice that making disciples is the only command in this passage. In our translation in verse 19, and, and that's universally translated that way, I believe, it says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Uh, the word go is a participle, not a command. It, uh, some argue that has uh, imperatival power. Uh, that would be unlike the other ways that, that Matthew himself uses participles. So it, it, it more, more describes when you're going to make disciples, not, not a command to go. What Jesus is really telling the, the church here or to the apostles gathered there is, when you leave here, as you go, when you go from here, make disciples. You don't have to wonder what you're going to do after you leave this place. You're going to go make disciples. And that's really the strength of the the that verb and that participle there. So the church is to make disciples or could also be said to disciple the nations, the people's groups out there. So um, the church doesn't have to wonder what to do. The church doesn't have to be bored because as long as there are people groups in the world, which there are right here and everywhere, then we know what we're supposed to do. We're to disciple the nations. And the making of disciples of Jesus Christ is often called discipleship. So we're going to use the term discipleship as that, the making of disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, a good definition of discipleship is this on the, on, the, on the screen. The constant process in which a Christian is helped by the covenant community to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ so that he becomes progressively conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and can in turn disciple others. So ideally, all of us are Disciples of Jesus Christ who are also making other disciples of Jesus Christ. And now notice that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, not of one another. So when we are helping people, we are helping them become more like Jesus Christ, not more like us. Paul doesn't say, just imitate me. 
He says, imitate me as I imitate uh, Christ. Any questions before we continue? All right, so the, uh, Jesus here describes the making of disciples with baptizing and teaching. Those two I-N-G words are describing that verb, make disciples. And the question arises, how do I make disciples by baptizing? And the wrong answer to that question has caused missionaries to trust in massive water baptisms for the salvation of unreached peoples. That's how Scandinavia, the Norses, were converted to Christ. The priest went up there, got the king to get everybody together, and he just threw water on everybody and said, okay, now we're Christians. This tree is Jesus. This tree is Mary. We're good to go. And now the Norse people are followers of Christ. That's not what this this means. It is easier to understand this passage if we let the word baptizing stand for what the sacrament it signifies and not the act itself. As our confession says, often the scriptures use the word, the, the, what, the, what the, the act of baptizing the sacrament is and what it signifies are so united that sometimes the word baptizing is used for what baptism signifies, not necessarily for the act of baptism. And we know what baptism signifies is signifies our union to Christ, our introduction to the body of Christ, our engrafting into Christ. And all these things, this engrafting into Christ, is the result of the work of the Spirit of God through the gospel. So when you say here that we're to make disciples by baptizing them, baptizing here stands for introducing them to Christ, which we usually call that what? Evangelism, right? So that's the relationship between evangelism. Evangelism is not a category by itself. Evangelism is a subcategory of discipleship. The bigger category is discipleship. You start that through evangelism. So the first element of making disciples is introducing the ones who are not disciples yet to Jesus Christ the Lord, whose disciples they will be. So that's how we start discipleship, through evangelism. It is also important that Jesus did use the word baptizing instead of just spelling out what it signifies because it tells us that disciple-making ministry is a ministry of the visible church since baptism is a sacrament of the church. Visible church should always be thought in terms of the local church. So the job of disciple-making is not of some parachurch entity's responsibility. It's a job of the church, the visible church, the local church of Jesus Christ. So discipleship should not be mainly accomplished through Bible study fellowship or through the navigators. Discipleship should be accomplished by the church of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some organizations that work with the local church to do that, and that's great, but that is the job of the church. And he also says that we're to teach them to observe. We make disciples by teaching them to observe. And it's very significant that Jesus says teaching to observe. Jesus doesn't want those who follow him to learn lots of stuff about him and about his word. That's it. He does want that. He wants us all to learn a lot of stuff about him, about his word, but he wants them to learn these things in order to live them out. So you can see that the making of disciples is not merely 
lecture time, though includes teaching, is actually teaching to observe. It's teaching to live out what Jesus, God, has said in his word. And that's how, in the broadest ways possible, discipleship is accomplishing. By introducing people to Christ and then helping them to do, to live out, to believe, to practice, to everything that Christ, that God says in his word. Any questions? Andrew. Uh, you talked about the word go mm-hmm. in the Great Commission, and that came up in our book study. And so the idea is there, it's, it's not necessarily a command to go, Mm-mm. but it's as you go. Yes. But is it wrong to say that there are other not, places? Not as you go, but when you go. It, it, it's an action prior to the action of making disciples. You can't make disciples till you've left that place that Jesus is talking to them. So while that verse itself should not be used to support the idea of... of I, I don't believe so. There are people that disagree with me uh-huh. because in, in the, uh, we'll get really greeky here to explain that, but the participle can have an imperatival force. It can use a non-command to express a command. That is grammatically possible. But if that's the case here, it would be the only time that Matthew, as the author of the gospel, would have used the participle in that way. Is it possible? Yes, it is. But it's unlikely if we let Matthew interpret Matthew. So, yes. Is it fair to say that there are other places where we could see a commission for the church to, to go out? If we think of um, Book of Acts, Jerusalem, Judea, and the other you see that there is a scriptural impulse. Oh, n- so in Acts we see it's a descriptive thing. I don't think we have a command to do that, but okay. that's what the church did. And I think the church did that because that's, the, that's what the New Covenant says we're going to do. So in the Old Covenant, we have this, come to us and see God here. In New Covenant, we have this greater covenant where... Now, the people of God are not going to wait for people to come into a particular place. The people of God are going to go everywhere with the message of, of Jesus Christ. So, uh, it would be difficult to find one verse where it says, go be a missionary. But the theology of the scriptures, if you understand it as a whole, compels the church to do just that. that um, the prophecies of the Messiah in the second half of Isaiah where it says that you shall be a light to all nations. The fulfilling of the Abrahamic covenant where you are going to be a blessing to all nations in Jesus Christ and his presence on earth is through the church and the only way then for, the, the, for Christ to be a blessing to all nations is through the church. All that teaches that the church should be going everywhere. Psalm 72 says that Christ shall reign as a Messiah from sea to sea, right, for everywhere. Those things all based on New Covenant, tell the church that it should, her, she should be going everywhere, making disciples everywhere. Any other questions or comments? So in this series, we're going to talk, talk about discipleship. So we're going to be talking about marriage, because marriage is a great place of discipleship. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about singleness and discipleship. We're going to talk about education, a formal education as far as educating children and so on as discipleship. All that's going to be involved in this series and how we relate to one another uh, because 
the discipler discipling discipler disciple relationship is not static is dynamic uh, I may be discipling Chad in some things and he might be discipling me in other things it's not just going one way it's dynamic it, 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 everybody's growing in that relationship and so we're going to talk about that as well Last week I kept you five minutes early. Today, today I'm dismissing you six minutes early. So we're one minute in the positive as far as net goes. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for um, calling us to be your disciples and to make disciples of others. Help us to be faithful to that calling that you've given to us. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen.